Welcome back to Victor E. History Podcast from the History Department at Fort Hay State University, home of Victor E. Tiger. Here at Victor E. History, Dr. Manami Guha and Holly Marquis highlight student, faculty, and alumni research. I'm Holly Marquis, and today I'm joined by first-year graduate student Colton Wagner, who is here to discuss his research paper titled Fight for the West, Resistance Against the Diminishment of Black Cowboys. Colton, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to discussing a little bit about my work. Before we get into your research, can you tell the listeners a little about yourself? Sure. Well, to start, I'm originally from Paola, Kansas. I went to Northeastern Oklahoma A&M College uh, for a couple years and then transferred to Fort Hay State University to get my bachelor's degree in history. Now I'm currently working on my first year, my master's in history. Um, Along with my academics, I've been rodeoing since I was nine years old, and I'm currently competing in the collegiate rodeo team here at Fort Hay State. So as someone who competes in rodeo, you've got a personal connection to the events you're researching, which always makes the research a bit more fun. What events do you do for the rodeo? I focus on calf roping and team roping. I like the timed events a little more. I prefer to keep the rough stock events to others. (laughs) Yes. Uh, What class did you write this paper for? I wrote this paper for Dr. McClure's African-American History Seminar. The goal was to develop uh, original work as it relates to the influence of African-Americans in social, political, etc. issues. Um, the class afforded me the opportunity to research the history of rodeo, specifically the influence of African-Americans in the development of the sport. Frankly, while I've been competing for the majority of my life, I knew very little about the history of the sport. So this class kind of allowed me to combine my interests of rodeo and my interests in history. It always helps when you're interested in the subject that you're researching. You start this paper with a story that takes place in the early 60s at a rodeo in Texas. Tell me that story. Well, in Alice, Texas, in the early 1960s, uh, Murtis Deitman arrived at the rodeo uh, prepping to compete in the bull riding. He went up to check his draw, and he was a bit unlucky. He got a bull called Yellow Fever, which, um, for those that don't know, he had never been ridden. Oh. And so when he went in to check his draw and he found it, he went out to find his bull and he found that it was not at the rodeo yet. Upon asking around, uh, officials told him that the bull would be arriving after the rodeo was over since, um, unfortunately, African-American cowboys were barred from the main show at this rodeo. They would have to ride after. Um Upon making his ride after the rodeo was over, he rode the bull for 16 seconds. Wow. bit excessive, as you only needed to ride for eight (laughs) seconds, but um, pretty cool. He also ended up winning the rodeo with his points. And when this was posted in the local newspaper, uh, the local population was outraged. They were extremely mad to have missed this amazing ride that occurred on a bull that had never been ridden. Hearing this story... Um, caused some excitement in the rodeo world and started to raise awareness for African-American cowboys in rodeo and started to change the rules as far as unofficial regulations that had been implemented during the 60s and 70s. How does this story provide the narrative for your argument or how does it represent what it was like for black cowboys in rodeo? Well, the changes implemented after Diamond's ride show the beginning of a 30-year conclusion for the struggles of black cowboys um, as they fought against the whitewashing of the American West. Merce Diamond's ride and the ensuing aftermath are 
kind of a snapshot of a much longer narrative through history. It shows the narratives of the struggling image of the black cowboy. The story really shows how Jim Crow laws and societal racial ideology caused the separation of race and rodeo and the diminishment of black cowboys in media. However, African-American culture in the West was able to persevere due to the development of rodeo associations that I'll be talking about a little bit later, such as the Soul Circuit and the Southwestern Colored Rodeo Association. Further, African-Americans continued to press the boundaries of societal racial exclusion and push for equality in pro-rodeo from the 50s to the 80s. So you set up this paper in three sections. The first is a history of African-Americans in the West. Then you talk about African-American rodeo in the Jim Crow era. And finally, their inclusion into professional rodeo. So let's start with that history of former slaves on the frontier of the American West and the development of the Wild West shows. Right. So during the time of slavery uh, in America, slaves took a multitude of jobs. One of these jobs involved working on cattle ranches, as it was cheaper for these owners to acquire slaves for ranching. Individuals from Western Africa had previous skills and knowledge of horses and working with cattle. Um, as slaves sold as uh, slavers sold these individuals from Western Africa to American ranchers, um, their skills and abilities were invaluable and continued to kind of develop in America. Um, also, a term that was kind of used by ranch owners um, was often cowboys or boy in reference to these slaves in many cases. Um, the individuals from Western Africa were adept at working with cattle and horses and were some of the first cowboys in America. At least one in four cowboys are said to be black during the 18th to mid-19th centuries. Along with the interaction of Central America, roping and Western riding gradually evolved into the more modern interpretation of Western horsemanship we see today. As slavery ended, freed slaves moved into the frontier and started up ranches and farms and continued to add to the Wild West culture. Cattle drives, shootouts, and inter interactions with natives were a portion of African-Americans' history in the West. You also mentioned Nat Love in this section. Who was he? <laughs> uh, Nat Love was kind of a self-proclaimed cowboy with fantastical adventures uh, from cattle drives, interactions with indigenous tribes, shootouts with outlaws. Um, his stories were something else. While his stories were quite possibly fictional, there were something modern society only finds in a Western movie. Um, unfortunately, most did not get these stories, except through Nat Love's autobiography. Um, along with Nat Love, though, we have other African-Americans that moved further uh, from civilization in the West um, in favor of land such as Montana and added and developing ranches along areas such as the Yellowstone River. Uh, those seeking to capture the West photographed uh, some of these, some of the unique diversity of these ranches as black, whites, and other racial groups work together to build cattle operations and kind of survive in this northwestern part of the United States. Um, along with these cattle drives and the classic open-range lifestyle of cowboys in the West, some black families uh, settled in the frontier and developed ranches in the Western lands. They became uh, cattle company owners, they owned oil rigs. Um, they began to develop these in Oklahoma, which was still kind of considered partially Indian territory at this time. 
uh, while white men in difficulties such as the Dust Bowl and economic collapse eventually forced many of these black frontiersmen to give up their lands, it was one of the first places for black owners to settle and live. Along with ranching and farming in the West, other African-Americans took part in what were called Wild West shows. So for anyone who's not familiar with Buffalo Bill's Wild West show, could you give us a picture of what those shows encompassed or what a spectator might have seen there? Well, these shows were kind of stage performances in which trick riders and performers from a multitude of backgrounds would entertain audiences with various acts they created. Um, And it really developed this image of the fantastical wild frontier or the wild west. It was meant to shock an awe audience with the skills of horsemanship and more. And how do black performers fit into these shows? Well, uh, these important performers had incredible skills and were trick ropers and riders. Uh, Black women were also a part of these shows as trick riders. Um, It's one of the few locations in which women are publicly a part of the Western culture for black society. Uh, Their feats in Wild West shows were incredibly popular. And while things such as the railroad and technology expanded further out, effectively ending things such as the cattle drives, these shows kept the image of the Wild West alive. Um, another individual that put, took part in these Wild West shows was Bill Pickett. Tell me about Bill Pickett. Originally being born in Texas uh, to two former slaves, Pickett began his career on a ranch where he tended to Longhorns. Eventually, he left the ranch in favor of traveling with the Wild West show, with the likes of Buffalo Bill. Um, Pickett's performances involved the art of bulldogging. You're going to have to tell me what that is because I don't know. (laughs) Um, So bulldogging pretty much involves a guy running up alongside a steer that is running full speed and jumping onto its horns and grabbing it by the horns and flipping it over on its back. That sounds very dangerous. It is extremely dangerous. (laughs) Um, However, Bill Pickett made it a little more impressive as he didn't just use his hands He grabbed it by the ear with his mouth and flipped it over. Uh, So I want to see that in actual rodeo. That'd be something to see. But um, in any case, he continued this until later retiring in 1930. But his act actually became a fixture of competitive rodeo we see today, albeit without the biting of the ear. (laughs) So how did the Wild West shows transition into cowboy competitions? and, And what are the differences in the two? Well, by the late 19th to early 20th century, Wild West shows were still in existence, but cowboy competitions were beginning to take their place as cowboys sought to test their skills they had learned on ranches against one another. Uh, The significant difference between the two events is really that everyone in a Wild West show, one, gets paid, um, while only a few select people get paid in these cowboy competitions or what later becomes rodeo. However, um, The pay is a little more significant in rodeos. You get a little bit more. And it's an opportunity to really compete and have a challenge and to see who is better. As you discussed in your paper, rodeo is growing during the Jim Crow era. How does rodeo look for Black Americans in the Jim Crow era? Um, So as the Jim Crow laws spread to all aspects of life, Black society was affected in every part of their lives. However, um, As the population began to increase during the early 20th century, so too did rodeo. Um, Unfortunately, as Jim Crow laws became increasingly popular uh, due to white society and governmental restrictions, so on and so forth, um, they spread to the increasingly organized realm of professional rodeo. 
the RCA or the Rodeo Cowboy Association followed the federal regula- regulations of segregation um, and Jim Crow laws, making it increasingly difficult for black cowboys to compete. Uh, during this time, black cow- cowboys uh, faced increasing pressure to disappear. So what do the black cowboys do when they can't get into professional rodeo competitions? Well, um, as racism and segregation became more prevalent in the mid-20th century, uh, African-Americans who desired to persevere uh, through this difficult time um, and maintain their Western heritage developed their own rodeos and competitions. By the 1930s, the RCA had developed sanctions um, on numerous other rodeos. These were supposedly unofficial rules. Nonetheless, they were prevalent. Um, and they gained numerous rodeos that they sanctioned, giving them points for a final rodeo at the end of the year. Uh, the Professional Rodeo Association never like forbid people of color from competing, supposedly, yet many of these rodeos around the nation were against the participation of black cowboys. Black cowboys had developed their own way of competing um, to face or face the prospect of disappearing from the realm of rodeo. Um, they formed loose kind of unofficial rodeo schedules um, that span the South and central part of the United States. These rodeos were a bit smaller and didn't offer as much payout for the competitors, but they did aid in keeping African-American cowboy culture and heritage alive. These rodeos were called midnight rodeos or backyard rodeos. Um, they took place extremely late at night, as a lot of these guys still had work days and stuff on ranches, but still wanted to go off and compete against each other. Uh, the rodeos were pretty unofficial and akin to like get-togethers for the areas of local communities. These payouts at these events were not excessively high. Um, so the main reason for attendance was simply to compete um, against people with similar goals and similar interests. And with the points that they earned there, they would not go towards the professional rodeo? Unfortunately not. Um, This was entirely separate and was kind of just an amateur unofficial circuit at that time. This eventually became what was called the soul circuit. And by 1945, black cowboys had kind of developed their own association and sanctioned these events to make it a little more official competition and circuit. The Southwestern Colored Cowboys Association was fully developed um, as a response to the Cowboy Rodeo Association and was kind of the place of origin for many black cowboys uh, beginning their careers during the 1940s and 50s. This is kind of their staging ground. Uh, The majority of these guys um, avoided the CRA due to hostilities and the unwelcoming nature of the association and the people around it. Most of these African-Americans competed during this or in the SCCA, or the Southwestern Colored Cowboys Association. Yet some African-American cowboys continued to try and compete in the pro rodeo um, due to better pay and fame. Who were the Circle L5? Well, these guys were a little different. Um, They were founded by Ed Poplanders. This was a group of five cowboys that kind of came together to form the Circle L5 group. Uh, Their goal was to participate in any cowboy-related parade or rodeo across the country. As such, one of their first attempts was at the parade at the Fort Worth Stock Show. The events involved the parade of various groups of cowboys and associations to commemorate the history of the West. 
and the cowboy lifestyle. So as you can imagine, it's, it's fairly important mm-hmm. um, for getting recognition. The Circle L5's argument was that nearly a quarter of all cowboys were black and therefore should participate in the parade and the rodeo. Makes sense. Certainly does. Um, Their first attempt for the group met with very little success as the coordinators turned the group away. Um, Upon making it to the event, the coordinator did not um, use the concept of segregation and Jim Crow laws expressly, uh, but made the excuse that they did not have the charter for the group. Um, They had to go through proper official regulations and that kind of stuff, supposedly. And so they were not allowed to participate the first time. However, the following year, the group got a charter and returned once more for the event. And so they were reluctantly allowed to participate in the stock stock show. Uh, The group had successfully broken through one of the many racial barriers that existed in the realm of rodeo and cowboy culture. Uh, They also kind of began this process of a 30-year struggle to raise awareness um, of the contributions and importance of black cowboys in the West. Tell me about Willie Thomas. Um, Willie Thomas began to do what few to no other black cowboys were doing in the 1950s. He began to go to the white rodeos, the CRA-sanctioned rodeos, and compete. When he was younger, Thomas worked on a ranch in Texas. His primary job was to feed steers on the ranch. While doing this job, he began to actually kind of jump on their back and ride them around. He became so good at riding the steers that he decided he should seek out more competition and began to go and compete in rodeos. As Unfortunately, as we talked about, the white rodeos that were the RCA rodeos often forbade uh, black cowboys from participating. Um, he still made a good attempt. And while audiences did not welcome him at the rodeo, his ability as a competitor resulted in his continued attendance at these events. He often had to sneak in um, and ride his bull and promptly leave after his rides due to kind of the hostilities of the attendees. As recorded by his son, Willie Thomas uh, rode nearly 50 bulls before a bull finally bucked him off ahead of the eight-second time limit. Wow. He's kind of heralded as the first black cowboy to begin competing in the pro circuit um, and led the way for many others. At this point, you circle back to Murda Steitman in your paper, and you call him the Jackie Robinson of the rodeo. What did you mean by that? Well, Murda Steitman is considered the Jackie Robinson of rodeo due to his incredible skill in the arena, as well as his ability out of the arena in breaking racial barriers for the RCA. Many of the next generation uh, really herald him as their inspiration and kind of their goal. And outside of competing, what else does he do at the rodeo? Well, along with competing, he also worked at many of these rodeos, from protecting other bull riders as a bullfighter. Uh, Dykeman was incredibly busy at rodeos, competing as well as being a pickup man for rust stock events, um, in which you have to kind of uh, push the cattle out, as well as getting guys off of horses and all that kind of stuff. So extremely busy. Is that common to work a rodeo that you're competing in? Um, I would say it's extremely rare um, (laughs) for individuals to do both and the ability really to work and compete well um, Mm -hmm. is extremely rare. Um, It's a testament to his mental fortitude and his skill um, and his ability to compete while also winning a lot of these rodeos. Ironically, um, these events were more apt to allow Dietman to work at the rodeos than compete at them. Right. At times, he'd have to leave the arena and then disguise himself to be able to come back and compete during the performance since people did not like him uh, actually competing um, in the main event. 
He does make it to the National Finals Rodeo by 1964. He becomes the first black cowboy to compete there, right? Yes. Um, By the end of the rodeo, he became the first black cowboy to compete. Um, He continued to be incredibly uh, successful in the field of pro rodeo for many more years as he qualified six more times um, until 1972. So is he an outlier or is this typical by the 60s? Fairly much an outlier. Um, other individuals certainly tried and um, had breakthroughs in other areas. Um, an individual, individual known as Larry Callies, um, a black cowboy that kind of calf roped in the 1970s, made his attempt to enter the RCA rodeos. Um, he'd been very successful in the soul circuit and that kind of stuff and wanted to compete for higher payouts. Unfortunately, um, small town communities kind of dissuaded them due to their enduring Uh, racism at some of these events that he tried to attend. Um, He traveled hundreds of miles to attend a couple rodeos, and he was forbade from even signing up. And just the sheer amount of money and time it took to travel was extremely challenging to overcome. Right. However, around the same time as Callie's, Tex Williams made his breakthrough into the realm of high school and college rodeo. In the 60s and 70s, Williams became the only black cowboy in high school and college rodeo. He initially attended the rodeos with his dad to oversee transporting of horses for his uh, father's employer's kids. And his father informed him that he could not compete since it was not the right time, he said. Um, Yet Williams had other plans. And in the ensuing years, Williams competed on multiple occasions and made a significant breakthrough in the realm of high school and college rodeo. Uh, Due to his rapport, he gained in high school and college rodeo. He also began to attend these RCA rodeos that Callie's wasn't really allowed to compete in. Um, the 1970s were extremely difficult for some of the younger guys um, as they knew about Murtis Dietman, who had achieved such incredible feats, and they knew about Tex Williams. And they thought changes were coming with the, uh, you know, at Jim Crow laws were finally raised. Um, So my next question you're alluding to already, I was going to ask about uh, the situation. Does it change by the 70s? And it doesn't sound like it does. Unfortunately not. Um, Racist ideals still kind of prevailed. Um, Rodeo is very slow to change um, at times. And frustrations continued through the 1970s. As a result of this, other associations began to develop, one of these being the All-American Rodeo Association in 1972. After uh, Murtis Dietman was kind of famous and had competed through his pro career, he wanted to kind of give back and help the younger generation. So Murtis Dietman and Harold Cash developed the All-American Rodeo Association, while the RCA, uh, by 1975, the PRCA, or the Pro Rodeo Association, they changed their name, remained indecisive on the attendance of black cowboys for the majority of the 70s. The resounding goal of all black cowboys was to win a world champion buckle at the NFR. When I think of rodeo, I think of people who grew up on farms or ranches or at the very least grew up with access to horses. So it's a surprise to read your section about Charlie Sampson. Tell me about him. I, I love Charlie Sampson. He was originally from Los Angeles, California, and had nothing to do with horses or livestock. However, when he was 10 years old, he took a field trip to a nearby stable and immediately became enamored by the prospect of becoming a cowboy. He started showing up there every day at the stables until they gave him a job. and Persistent. I'm telling you, determination. 
During his time there, he began to ride steers, actually, at this farm. Um, at one point, his hero, Murtis Dightman, arrived while rodeoing along the West Coast. And Samson drew a lot of inspiration from him and decided to continue to work and improve on his skills as a bull rider. He later rode his first bull in a small town in Oklahoma. I can't believe you would drive all the way to Oklahoma for your first rodeo, but he did it. Um, And he got bucked off in two jumps. However, in 11 years from that point, Samson would later go on to win the bull riding at the NFR. Um, He faced numerous injuries along the way from a bull crushing his face to getting seven pins put in his body after a rough ride, yet he continued to compete through all of that. I think that'd be it for me. (laughs) Yeah, one time of that. Yeah, Uh, once. So this is the 80s at this point. By the 80s, 90s, what does the rodeo look like for black cowboys? Well, by the 80s, uh, it really marked the end of racism and a new era of inclusion in rodeo moving forward. One of the most popular and famous cowboys in rodeo history had his shot in the 90s and broke even more barriers um, in pro rodeo. Um, Fred Whitfield, one of my um, people that I've gotten to see growing up, actually, won the calf roping nine times at the NFR starting in 1991. And yeah, it, it's really the 70s and the 60s were kind of the big time for change. Is there still work to be done for diversity and inclusion in the rodeo? <laughs> well, it's much easier to look at the past with a critical eye than it is to look at contemporary times, especially when I'm a part of it. But I would say there's always room for improvement. Definitely. Uh, what's up next for this research project? Uh, Post making this paper, there was a fantastic book that was released called Black Cowboys of Rodeo by Keith Ryan Cartwright. And it's extremely thorough and riveting narrative over this entire topic with, albeit, several more uh, influential figures and is very good to read. As such, I'm going to be changing directions a little bit and focusing more heavily on the entertainment side of rodeo, focusing on announcers, clowns, soundmen, kind of the production side of rodeo that people don't get to hear a lot about. I know you were really disappointed when that came out, but also excited to read it. And it sounds like you did an excellent job. So I'm excited to see what thesis project comes out of this on the entertainment side. I want to thank you for visiting with me, being willing to talk about the rodeo with me today. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. We will post a selected bibliography of sources for those who want to learn more about African-Americans in the rodeo at our website, victoryhistory.com. That's V-I-C-T-O-R-E history.com. You can subscribe by email to get notifications on episodes. You can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Audible, Spotify, or at victoryhistory.com. And if you're interested in pursuing a history degree or history education degree at FHSU, online or on campus, visit www.fhsu.edu history to learn more.